Are you ready to go? It's going to be a great few weeks here together. The book of Revelation, the book most people in church want to have taught because they don't understand it. At the very same time, it's the book that most preachers least want to preach because they don't understand it. And uh, that's kind of where we're, we're heading here over these next few weeks. And so I'm excited for this. I'll confess to you, I'm entering into it with a little fear and trepidation over uh, all that's involved with uh, teaching this to you. I mean, it's been a book for over centuries, right, that scholars, far more godly, far more brilliant and intelligent, have argued and discussed and debated, how do we understand this book, how do we interpret this book, and how do we think about what it means to our lives? For example, all the way at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 20, there's a thing called the millennial reign of Christ, a thousand-year reign where... Jesus and the saints who reign on the earth, Satan is bound and cast into the, the lake of fire, and there's all kinds of amazing, crazy stuff that's going on in this time. And for centuries, theologians and scholars have struggled to understand what this truly means. In fact, even if we think about just that little period, the thousand years, we can't even reach consensus on where we think Jesus will return during that time. Uh, over the century, there's three major views that have come up. There's a premillennial view that views that Jesus will return before the millennial, there's a post-millennial view that believes that Jesus will return after the millennium. There's an amillennial view that basically says this whole thing is symbolic during this church age that we're living in now. And that's the three major views. There's a fourth view I like. It's the pan-millennial's view. And the pan-millennial's view simply says this, it'll all pan out in the end. And uh, I like that one, but it doesn't preach for six weeks So as we go on this, right? But that, that's chapter 20. You back all the way up before there. We're not even talking about issues of the seven-year tribulation. And how do we interpret what the tribulation means and how do we think about uh, those things? Uh, this series, as I've been preparing and listening and, and, and reading some of my favorite teachers and preachers, some of them have reached dramatically different conclusions than I'm going to teach you over these next few weeks. So I'm going to send them the series. hopes that helps change their mind. Uh, but no, I'm kidding. But the reality is this, e even for you, right, as we, we talk about these things over the next few weeks, there may be things that you view differently and have different opinions about. And I just want to say to you, that's really fine. Because what we're going to be talking about over these next six weeks, I really would define this way. It's secondary doctrine. What I mean by that is there's some doctrines that are primary, right? Things like uh, salvation through faith in Christ alone, uh, the virgin birth, the inspiration of Scripture, right? These are things we grab a flag and we plant them on the hill saying this is who we are as followers of Christ. We'll die for these things, right? Those are primary things. There's secondary uh, issues that we can have differing views on and still be brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We can have differing opinions on how the work of the Holy Spirit is in our lives and how it manifests itself. So we can have differing opinions on that, differing opinions on, on baptism, uh, in my church history uh, family tree, you know, hundreds of years ago, there was a division over, it wasn't even about baptism, about immersing. Everybody agreed to that. The debate was, should we, we dunk people going backwards or should we dunk them going forwards? And the church split over this very issue. And I want to say secondary doctrinal issues as we go. Uh, eschatology, the study of end times, it falls within that category, I think, of, of secondary doctrines. Good little thought for us as we go. I say it this way, right? In essentials that we have unity, in non-essentials that we have liberty, and in all things that we show grace and love. And I think that's the key. So as we begin our study, you may be wondering, Pastor, why now? Why are we doing the book of, of Revelation now uh, of all times? Are you convinced? Uh, like we're in the, we're in the uh, apple, uh, the 
the, the moment of time and uh, we're in apocalyptic times and the end of the series, the application is gonna be sell everything you have. We're going to the highest hill in Lexington. We're camping out and we're waiting. Jesus is coming. Is that it? Is it? As I'm reading the, the locust in Revelation, those are actually the Black Hawk helicopters that we left for the Taliban and so that's coming there. Or uh, is the vaccine the mark of the beast, right? All these questions that come. I will confess to you, I've had more people ask questions about end times in this last year because I think there's something about us that's thinking about it in, in a new, in a, in a fresh way as we go. Here's my goal for our time together. I hope to give you some clarity. I hope to give you some peace and even a degree of, of excitement for what the Lord has for us in the days to come. I hope it's a, it's a series that recalibrates our faith a little bit. I, I think about the church in North America we have gotten so sideways and so distracted on secondary issues that we have forgot the main thing, that we are in a war and we are in a battle. The book of Revelations reminds us that we fight not against flesh and blood, but by something greater. That there's a spiritual uh, battle raging and that we need to be in the war, we need to be prepared, that evil is real and evil is alive. The book of Revelation reminds us of that. It also reminds us of the great hope at the end of this. The great hope is that evil is defeated. Uh, the wonderful thing is, let me just give you a spoiler alert. If you've not read the book of Revelation, at the end, Jesus wins. And if Jesus wins, we win. And so uh, be encouraged by this. In fact, Revelation 1 says, be blessed by the truth that's coming. But it's also a book, I think, that reminds us as the church, as followers of Christ, listen, that, that we need to be ready we need to be prepared for the imminent return of the Lord. Or is our lives living with expectation? It reminds us that there's more that's going on in this life than just here. There's more than just paying the bills and trying to get the kids to school on time and binging whatever show we're watching at this time. There's something greater of that. I hope this series kind of re-engages and sparks your spiritual antennas to the things that are happening. To be reminded that there is a spiritual realm that interacts with the physical realm. And in the mystery of that, we see God working in amazing ways. It's also a book, as we read through this, that, that's heartbreaking. It's troubling. It's disturbing. It's, for those that don't know the Lord, this book speaks of a strong and powerful truth that's there. And so I hope this reignites your evangelistic spirit to be reminded that the answer to this and the hope comes from knowing Jesus and sharing that with others. And so there's a lot we want to get done in these six weeks. It's a powerful book, and I'm looking forward to it together. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. If you've got your phones, you can go to lexcity.info and follow all the sermon notes there. Uh, next week, there'll be a place at lexcity.info that you can submit questions. And if you've got questions about Book of Revelation or End Times, please submit those. And I'd love over our next six weeks to try to hopefully incorporate and answer many of those as we go. But Revelations chapter 1, it says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he had saw. Blessed. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before him, his throne. 
And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. First five verses, John gives us, I think, a little framework, a little context just for what we're going to be seeing in the chapters to come over this entire book. So I want to do today during our time, I want to give you four observations uh, out of our first five verses here, four observations that kind of just set the parameters, set, set the expectations for what we're going to do over these next uh, six weeks together. So here's the first one. Very basic but extremely important. Number one is this, that revelation is a letter. Is a letter. Verse four, same way that Romans, 1 Corinthians was a letter, this was a letter. Uh, verse four tells us that John is writing to the seven actual churches in Asia, modern day Turkey, that's there. So seven churches, names and by name. Here's what's fascinating, what he writes to these seven churches are some themes, really seven themes that have been true through the ages of churches, seven distinct challenges, victories that they have. In the context of our study here, we're gonna just be doing six weeks, so I'm not gonna take uh, time on this series to talk about the seven churches, but you'll find those in chapters two and three. You can read uh, a little bit there, but it is to these actual churches. So I'm remind you in the context of that, that, listen, the book of Revelation is written for us, but it's not written to us. There's a difference, right? So an understand the context of who it is written to helps us interpret what it's written for as we go to these things. Because one of the things that we love to do, especially in Western culture, we love to interject ourselves into every part of Scripture in all of these things and try to put it in our context. But can I remind you that the letter is not written to the eighth church in Lexington, right? It's written to seven churches in Asia. It was written for us, but is not written to us. So the book cannot mean to us what it didn't mean to them. You understand what I'm saying that way? So context, we've got to understand why was it written to them and in that comes the benefit to us as we go. So why did John write these, seven, these letters to the seven churches? Well, again, the context gives us some insight. Every generation has felt like, man, this is the worst time on earth. Jesus has got to be coming back this month because it can't get any worse than this. Can I take just a few moments? Let me give you a little church history 101. This is a freebie for you, but context of what's happening to the early church. 62 AD, Acts chapter 2, it's the launch of the church. Revival takes place. Thousands come to know Christ. Jews, Gentiles, many were Romans uh, in the context of Rome. Magical movement of God. 65 AD, Nero, who's in power, launches really the first persecution of the church. And it was after the great fire of Rome in, in uh, 64 AD that most scholars uh, speculate it was actually Nero who was responsible for the fire, but Nero decides to blame Christians for the fire, and so the persecution begins. Roman historian Tacticus writes this, that Nero had Christians covered in wild beast skins and torn to death by dogs. And think about the persecution there, 70 AD. Probably the darkest hour, I, I think, in church history. Jerusalem is burned to the ground. Paul, Peter, and Timothy were all publicly executed in that year. Think about this. Three pillars of the faith brought to publicly and killed for their faith. Can you imagine the fear, the terror that creates within them? Imagine if your favorite three preachers of today, you name them, you know, it's Andy Stanley and it's Furtick and Rick Warren. You look on the news, they get public out and they're shot and they're killed because they were preaching the gospel. That's what happened in 70 AD. Three pillars of the faith martyred because of their, their faith. 92 AD, Emperor Dominican views himself as God, 
builds a temple in Rome to himself and requires that all Roman citizens must make a pillage to the temple every year. When they come to the temple, they must grab some incense and when they throw it on the fire, must declare that Caesar is Lord. He also sets up a a law saying that if there's any Christian who is brought before the tribunal with allegations, if that Christian will not refute his faith, the Christian is automatically guilty of all the charges brought against him and they must be prosecuted to the full extent of the law that's there. (laughs) So this is the context of the letter of Revelations, right? Chapter two and chapter three, John writes to these seven churches. And if you read that on your own, you'll, you'll find these churches are struggling they're discouraged, they're going through challenging times, and it's no wonder. I mean, they're facing intense persecution like never experienced to this moment. Three decades of this persecution. North America, we got two years of masks, and we're freaking out and falling apart, and people are running away from their faith. I mean, this is unbelievable what our early brothers and sisters in Christ faced at this moment. These, the, these early churches faced a literal decision of really this. Who will you serve this day, right? Follow Caesar, bend the knee, don't uh, pay your taxes, uh, just don't proselytize, uh, just blend in and you will receive all the benefits of Rome. Follow Jesus. You'll be marginalized. You may even be martyred. Your life will be difficult for you and your children and your grandchildren. Choose who this day you'll serve. Who, who would you choose? Does the reality of your current life give evidence to who you would choose in those moments? I say all that because this is the context of the book of Revelation. Brothers and sisters facing extremely difficult times. It's number one, it's a letter. Number two, Revelation is an apocalyptic prophecy. Go on to verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud, and here it is, the words of this prophecy. So John's gonna say a prophecy of the vision that he's received from God about the return of the Lord. And it reminds him this. He's going to remind his, leader that, his readers that things are not as they seem or at least they are more than are seen. Church, there's struggles you're going through. Don't lose heavenly perspective, John says, right? God is at work. He has not forgotten you. He sees the persecution. John reminds him that the Lord has not forgotten those brothers and sisters who have been killed for their faith. He says, man, the battle is not over. Rome has not won. Don't lose heart. Rome, Revelation 1, they think Rome, is the, Rome will be here forever. And we get a perspective now. We don't even think about Rome. He says, man, there's something greater going on than what you see, or certainly not more. And since it's uh, apocalyptic prophecy, we'll see this. John uses a lot of, of imagery for us throughout the book. Now, if you're not familiar with the, the book of Revelation, there's and if you knew, look, there's going to be dragons, uh, there's going to be swords coming out of mouths, there's going to be magical beasts, there's going to be four horsemen. I mean, this is Lord of the Rings stuff, you know, on steroids that we're going to be reading over this. So if you're new to the church, let me just remind you, like, well, this is imagery to us. You know, like, I went to this church, and they really think these dragons are coming out, and all these, it's imagery. And so he, John uses a little bit of that, hang with us, we'll try to make sense of it. Now, I love about in, uh, imagery is it makes it for interesting reading, and we'll have a lot of fun with it, but it, it can be extremely confusing at times. As Westerners, right, we tend, we love to live in the world of facts. And John's going to give us a lot of imagery that's there. We like to think, we're, we're very linear in our thinking and our thoughts as Westerners. We'd love the book of Revelations just to be laid out like this chapter leads to this chapter and it just rolls out on this straight little line that's really easy to understand. And, and the reality is John's teaching in a far different way. 
as Westerners, when you read the book of Revelation, don't you find, you want to know this. You want to know the when, and we, know, we want to know the what. And John says, I want to teach you about the who and the why. As Westerners, we love charts and we love timelines. And John says, listen, I just want to remind you of the who and the why. I want to remind you that this is Jesus. And the why is his redemptive plan for the world. So to have, uh, don't lose hope. We're going to have charts and we'll have timelines for all of you that love that. We're going to get some of those. But let's not lose track of the who and the why, trying to figure out all of the what and the when as we jump in. All right. There's another purpose for imagery that I love that the Bible uses. Revelation like Ezekiel... Uh, Daniel, Isaiah are full of imagery. And it's intended not only to inform our minds, but it's to ignite our very spirits. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, listen to these verses. Here's an example of it. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head crowns of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. That's a very different story. Uh, telling of the Christmas story than I remember it. You remember that? I mean, when I think about a child, I mean, we, were, we got in bathrobes and uh, whatever the youngest couple in the church was who just had a baby, they were Mary and Joseph, right? We lit candles and we sang Silent Light. We never had a red dragon waiting to devour the baby that was born. But imagery ignites something. I don't know what you mean. That kind of thing fires me up. You're like, what? There's a dragon? who's gonna devour a child? Like, I'm grabbing my sword, we're going down, the battle is on. I mean, this is what it kind of ignites within our hearts and our souls. It ignites these things, and uh, we're fired up, ready to go. This is uh, Daniel, uh, Daryl Johnson in his book, Discipleship on the Edge, writes it this way. Imagery has the power to hook us deep inside. Images can quickly and effectively convey that which we struggle to put into words. Imagery goes beyond the intellect and through the emotions and into the imagination, grabbing hold of us at the deepest recesses of our beings. It informs the intellect and ignites the emotion. That's the power of the imagery in the book of Revelation, right? Rather than simply say, and the Virgin Mary gave birth to a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this son will defeat Satan and we now have the victory in heaven because of this son named Jesus. Revelation puts it this way, a little later in chapter 12. Now war arose in the heavens, Michael and all of his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Don't you love that kind of stuff? Josh, I'd like a red dragon in this year's Christmas show. However we work that out, you know, I want swords. And, but it, it, it's, it's wonderful because it ignites something in us. It reminds us, listen, that we're in a spiritual battle. John says, I want you to be reminded, you're not a spectator. You're a warrior in the war of the worlds and the things that are coming. And it's so powerful. So number two is reminded that Revelation is an uh, apocalyptic prophecy that comes. Number three context remembers, Revelation defines reality. Revelation defines reality. 
while I was preparing for this, I, I was, I, I continue to be reminded that the reality is heaven. <laughs> the reality is the, the spiritual realm. That, that this, literally this earth, is it, temporary. It's fading. We'll find out that there'll be a new heaven and, and a new earth that comes. During the, the seven years of the tribulation, I'm reminded that while things are happening here on earth, there is an there's an altar thing happening in the heavenlies that is actually more of a reality where the saints will rejoice and worship in heaven. That this earth will be destroyed and the heavenlies will be the only things that are eternal. So I'm reading into this and we'll look in the next few weeks reminded again that the spirit world really is the real world. And I kept thinking Revelation does for us, really, it, it does for us what the red pill, the red pill did for Neo in the Matrix. Remember this one of my favorite top three movies of all time. Check this out. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. You can feel it when you go to work. When you go to church, when you pay your taxes, it is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Offering is the truth, nothing more. I love it. The red pill, right, of Revelation. I, I really think that it opened our eye, it opened our eyes to what is truly real. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this: For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That the world, this world, is not our home, right? There's more to it than what we see and what we can experience right now. It's more than this. To the seven churches, John says, listen, I'm writing this. To know that your pain and your persecution is not forever. There's something greater. That there's a life beyond your suffering. That the archangel Michael is preparing the troops. That there's a battle at hand. That the dragon will be slain and you will be victorious. So he says this, so anchor your present in the realities of the unseen future. Be blessed. And have hope. Let me give you a fourth final observation this morning. Is number one is simply that Revelation brings blessing. Out of the 66 books in the Bible, the book of Revelation is the only one that promises blessing both at the start and both at the finish for those who read it and obey. At the end of Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, here's the blessing. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 at the start of it. 
we read it earlier. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John says three keys for blessing, right, if we want to experience it. Those who read out loud. Now think about why that is important. Context, right? It's written for us, but not to us. In the context of the churches, the seven churches, many of these early churches didn't have a copy of the letter for themselves personally, right? Majority of the people who heard this, they, they were, had no formal education. Many of them could not read themselves, so they had to hear the words and were blessed by that. When I read that, I don't know, that, that should encourage you. That encourages me as I think about studying this book, that the original audience wasn't a bunch of scholars who sat down and heard this and understood it all. They were just ordinary people. They had no internet, no YouTube to figure this all out, no commentaries to figure out how to help them along them. They listened to the word being read aloud, and they understood the book of Revelations at enough level to be blessed. So be encouraged over these next six weeks, all right? We may not understand everything uh, about this book, but you will understand enough to obey and in your obedience to be blessed. Next week, as we continue on, we're gonna launch into the, the concept and the principle of the rapture. What does that mean? How does that affect the church? How does that affect us as followers of Christ? So we're gonna look at that next week, and that really will begin to unfold events Uh, of the apocalypse that come. But as we close, let me just go back to how, for today, how John uh, ends his intro. Go back to Revelation chapter one, verse five. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And this is the heart that you've got to remember of God through this entire series. As we talk about the judgment and the wrath of God, can I remind you that it's always coming from that point of God's love for us. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says it this way, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And that's where today, as we close out our time, that's where we're going to get the chance to celebrate uh, together. We got a chance to celebrate it last hour through baptism. We're going to celebrate and hear the stories of of God's patience with our sin, our our moment of repentance and turning to him, and the decision today to go public with our faith through the act of baptism. So let's enjoy and celebrate together these stories of God's goodness.